0: Take your bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. Now I realized last Sunday we looked at verses 14 through 18. But I got the I just feel like we need to spend more time in 12 and 13. And I have a feeling that we will spend more time in 12 and 13 today and next Sunday because I don't think before we get to the Lord's table, I'm going to be able to exhaust everything I want us to see. in These two phenomenal and tremendous verses out of God's Word. Uh, You remember that we looked just two weeks ago at the verses that ended in verse 11, 6 through 11. And verse 11 has such a dark and sad statement in it. And he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Uh, John had already talked about the darkness and the light. Jesus, the light, and the darkness tried to put it out. The darkness tried to destroy it. But the true light could not be comprehended, could not be uh, extinguished, if you will, by the light uh, that is is Christ. The light shines in darkness. The darkness did not comprehend or did not overpower it. And, And yet, when you come to verse... 11, if John had ended there, it would sound very much like the darkness destroyed the light. And and he came to his own. His own people, his own creation, his own everything. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. If he had left it there, that would have been sad. Remember, if he had left it there, there would be no good news in the gospel. If he had left it there, it would have been he came... He tried his best, and he failed. But the truth of the matter is, John wants us to see that even though Satan may have thought he had won, even though the world thought they had won, that nothing that they did, Satan or the world or the Romans or anybody else, nothing that they did could could thwart or destroy God's purpose in Christ coming into the world. Now, verse 11 sounds very dim and very, very sad, But verses 12 and 13 says, but I want you to know that even though his own did not receive him and it looked as though the world was not going to receive him, there were some who received and and we're evidence of that today. There are some who have received him. There are some who have trusted him. There are some who have come to faith. We come to this table as as an expression of that. When we come to this table and look at the bread and look at the the, the wine, the fruit of the vine, we say this is representative of his body and his blood. This is representative of what the world has rejected and will not believe in. But as for his remnant, as for those who belong to him, they did receive, they did believe, and it was all by an act of grace, which John is going to deal with completely in these two verses in which we will deal with completely today and next week. The idea is that that it looked dismal. It looked very dark when he hung on that cross. But three days later, there was a resurrection. And three days later, there was great joy. And three days later, there was celebration by many of those who went out and told about it. And many came to know Christ. Like Jim's uh, hypothetical farmer came to know Christ and and told the Roman soldier, and they told other Roman soldiers, and, and the gospel spread because of verses 12 and 13. The very first thing that we understand from this when John says these words, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority, if you will, to become the children of God. Now realize uh, the authorized version, King James Version says here, to them he gave the power. The word there is not dunamos It's not the word power. It's the word for authority. It's the word for right. Those who had no right to come into the presence of God were by virtue of God's grace given a right based on faith and based on belief. There was an authority given that was not possessed in the beginning. Now, if you lived in, in Paul's day or if you lived in John's day, you would realize there were a lot of paths for, quote, salvation that people looked to. If you were smart in philosophy, then you could... Have be enlightened and, and they would say you were saved because of your enlightenment if you were a Jew you were a part of the chosen people and so you, you felt like you were alright because of a covenant with Abraham that had taken place hundreds and thousands of years earlier but now you, now they're coming and saying it's not based on your pedigree, it's not based on your intelligence, it's not based on what you know and it's not based on how good you are and it doesn't matter who your parents are, or your grandparents are or, or as far back as you want to trace it on Ancestry.com it, it, all that has nothing to do with what it means to be a child of God. It's all on faith. Faith that, as Paul said, is based as a gift of God on the grace of God. Faith that comes because of God's work in a person's life. And, and we can quickly say that there is no, nothing short of a miracle that takes place every time someone is born again. And it's a miracle of God, not a miracle of man important to understand So we come to this table and we take of the bread and we take of the juice, and we say, we are coming to acknowledge that we have placed our trust in the one who died on the cross. We have placed our belief, we have received, and we have believed in the one who gave himself to die in our place, as our sacrifice and as our substitute. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. To become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let that sink in just a minute. We're going to really expound that more next week, but let that verse 13 sink in. It's those who came and received him and believed in him, that were given the right to become children of God, but they were born not of the blood, not of blood, there was no ancestry involved here, nor of the will of man or the will of the flesh or the will of man but of God. Born of God. A work of God in their life that is inexplicable in anything that is human-centered. Man-centered. Inexplicable in any way other than saying God did it. By His grace He accomplished it. By His grace He He did a work that we were not expecting, did not anticipate, but he did in the life of every believer. Over the next week, I want you to to meditate on these two verses. I want you to think about these two verses. I want you to, if you will, chew them over a bit, 12 and 13, because the the meat that's there, the importance that's there, is what I want you to see. I love that song that we sang this morning. I love all those songs we sang this morning, but Holy, 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 uh, as you know, is one of my favorites. But I don't know, for some reason this morning, one verse struck me as it had never struck me before. As we were singing it, thinking about this passage in John this morning, and it just kind of leapt out at me when it said, you know, Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man your glory may not see. That's what John's talking about in verse 11. The darkness tries to hide God and tries to hide Him from man and and the the eye of sinful men, that's all of us, in our own ability, in our own strength, don't see Him. We We just do not see Him. But when the grace of God breaks through that shroud of darkness, when the grace of God breaks through that hiddenness, there is a vision, there's a sight, there's an understanding, there's a clarity that is no other way but by the grace of God. So he says, he gave them the right to become the children of God. One thing you're going to notice all through this book of John is John's going to talk a lot about the family relationship, the, the family community that takes place in a relationship because of the grace of God. But he never refers in this book to us being sons of God never uses the word sons. He always uses the word for children. The only, t- only person he refers to as the Son of God throughout the whole gospel is, is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the only begotten of the Father. He is the only begotten of God. He is the one who came in the world, who, who as we talked about last week, took on flesh, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. But when he talks about us, he uses a more general term, he uses a more... Uh, expressive term saying you have now been given the right to be the children of God. That's why you can come to this table. This table is a table for his children. This is a table for those who have been transformed by adoption from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This table is for those who were dead in their trespasses and sin and yet who came alive because of God's grace in Christ. This table is for those who who saw nothing. This table is for those who rebelled against God and in their sin were just absolutely, totally in darkness, but whom God gave light. And the light shone in the darkness of our sin, in the darkness of our existence, in the darkness of our death just as Jesus did with Lazarus at that tomb in John 11 that we'll look at months down the road. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who was bound in grave clothes, who was dead, as we say in Alabama, as a doorknob, came forth alive. If you are in Christ, it is because one day... Christ called out your name by the grace of God and said, Bill, come forth out of your darkness, out of your death into the glorious life that is in Jesus Christ. And this Bill, who was bound head and toe in grave clothes, wrapped up in sin, wrapped up in death, came alive and cried out with all my voice, Lord, I need you. And I saw it for the first time. It's amazing how powerful and how gracious the grace of God is. So we come to this table to say, Lord, if we're a believer, we come to this table to say, thank you. I challenged the youth this morning down in their assembly time there in the coffee area. I challenged them to think this morning. Not to say we're coming to the Lord's Supper table, we do this once a month and it's just something we do and so we just kind of zone out until the plate gets passed in front of you. I challenge them and I challenge you this morning to think about what this represents. The bread that represents Christ hanging on the cross. The bread that represents his body which hangs there in our place. You and I deserve to be there. He didn't, but he took it on freely because he loves us. Because he was going to give life to people because of that death the blood that that the juice represents is is the blood of Christ that was shed on that cross out of the out of the nail prints in his hand and the nail prints in his feet and the piercing in the in his side from the cross as his blood flowed forth it was reminding of the blood that was shed with the sacrificial lamb on the day of atonement And when when the blood was poured out and and they they said this blood forgives and the people were sprinkled with the blood in order to signify forgiveness of sin. And and we come to say that the body and the blood of Christ represents the forgiveness that is in Christ complete. And I want you to see that this morning as we prepare to come to this table what I would call the universality of this gift. Not universalism, not that oh well, because he died everybody will be saved John says clearly it's only those who 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 uh, who believe it's only those who have received him and believe in him believe in his name and that's the totality doesn't mean just I believe in Jesus that's it but believe in the totality of his life and ministry and work his atonement to them they've been given the right to be the children of God but there's this there is a universality of this because up until this time it was all about everybody thought in John's day that Yahweh was just for the Jews, that that Yahweh was just for those who were blood descendants. Now, we know in the Old Testament the Jews were supposed to be a missionary people from the very beginning. They were to take the the light of God, the light of Yahweh into the whole world, but they instead made it very, very uh, communal in the most negative sense of the word. They made it very parochial. They made it their own and nobody else's. It's just for me. But Christ comes and he says, I want you to know that I've come to save people. As as John says in the book of Revelation, out of every tribe, every tongue, every language, every every people group, there will be people that I will save out of all of that. It's not just for those who have a blood relationship with, with someone else. But it's for all who believe. All who have been touched by the Spirit of God and the grace of God and brought to life and believe, really believe in Jesus. It's not just going to church. It's not just signing cards. It's not even just being baptized. But it's believing in His name. Believing in His name. You know, it's a glorious thing to me to know that the world's hatred of Christ couldn't frustrate God. It's it's an encouragement to me and a, a point of praise and worship to know that the world could kill the Son of God and yet not frustrate His plan one iota. You know why? It's because God, the sovereign king, makes the wrath of men praise Him. He makes the wrath of men praise Him. And he looks at Satan, what Satan thinks is his finest hour. And it's really Satan's end. It's really his defeat. It's really ultimately his destruction. The darkness cannot overcome, cannot comprehend, cannot destroy the light. And even though the world in their own desires will always flee Christ, God will save a people for himself by his grace and for his glory. And we sit here this morning as people of the covenant, of the new covenant. People who have come to Christ by faith, believing and receiving. We are a people who have come and we look at these elements, and we say that body was given in my place, that blood was shed for my forgiveness, and for me being a part, made a part, blood of the new covenant, for me being made a part of this new covenant, whereby I can know God, have my sins forgiven, and be a part of His family, not just when I die, not not just when it's over on this earth. Oh yes, then too part of his covenant family right now. Part of his covenant family that's called to fellowship together, to pray together, to worship together, and to minister together. In fact, we're going to talk about that tonight. I hope you'll be back. so we start talking about ministry in a new context several miles over the road. And everybody in this room is a vital part of that ministry and if you don't see that, then you need to think about what these elements mean as we come to them this morning. And your ministry may not be standing in the pulpit. It may not be, may be teaching a Sunday school class or, or teaching children. Or, it might not be your ministry. For some of you, it is. But it, it, you may find tonight that there are some ministries that are so, so ridiculously simple. But God will use them to point to the sacrifice that Christ made in our place. Would you bow your heads with me? We'll come back to John 1. 1- 12 and 13 next week but I want you to see this morning the reality of the light the reality of the life the reality of the love that God has shown us in Christ and I want you to think about what it means to believe in him, to receive him to trust in him if you're here this morning and not a believer you've never trusted Christ I invite you to Christ. I invite you to trust in Him. I invite you to think about these elements as they're passed among you. If you're not a believer, please let them pass by. Uh, Not to embarrass you, not to set you apart, but it's just just what uh, this is for believers, those who have put their faith in the body and the blood of Christ. But think about what that means. And think about the gift that He has given. Think about His call upon your life. You continue in prayer as those who will serve this meal come and join me in the front.